welcome to Old Firehouse School's Fireside Chats on the Young Mind. My name is Alexandra Dutton, and I am going to be your host today. Today, we have a follow-up episode, a part two, to our What Do You Mean My Child Needs Therapy podcast that we did last month. Last time, we heard from two professionals, Carrie Rodriguez and Katrinka Ford, about working with children and families who need outside support, which could be play therapy, speech therapy, or assessments. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from families who have gone through this process. We are really grateful that they're willing to share their stories, which are very personal. I have with me three parents. I have Michelle. Uh, Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a teacher at Old Firehouse School, and my oldest is 16 years old. My name is Alexandra, and I have a four and a half year old son. And I'm Isabel, um, and our daughter is four and a half, and we also have a one and a half year old son. Okay, well, thank you again very much for joining me today to talk about something that I know can be a very difficult situation, very challenging, and I'm looking forward to hearing your experiences and how that can help families understand what this process is going to be like. So can we just start off maybe by sharing what kinds of services your child has received? When my son was four, I went to therapy for anxiety. And so he did about an eight week course of play therapy. And then we have visited that therapist a few more times since then. For us right now, you know, our son has done a number of different things. So he started an occupational therapy and some social skills class. And then he's done a year of special education as well. And then now he's transitioned back to general education and still reserve special education, push in and pull out services of occupational therapy and speech pathology. Our daughter, we first noticed some delays in her language development when she was very young, when she was about 18 months old and pursued getting her evaluated. She ended up doing speech and language therapy for about a year and a half from the time of about one and a half to just after her third birthday. What were some of the things you noticed that your child might need some help? There were a few things that clued us in that our daughter might need some help. The first was that we just noticed she wasn't meeting the milestones and questions that were asked by her pediatrician in the regular well check visit. And those are usually pretty quick questions, but she was missing the mark on a few of them. So that was one of the first things. Second, we noticed relative to her peers, she was starting to lag behind in language development. And of course, there's a wide range of what's typical, but we just noticed that all her friends were starting to have words and all her peers were starting to have words and she had very limited sounds. Our thoughts eventually were confirmed as well when other family members and friends and caregivers started mentioning things with kind intentions to us that maybe she may have a language delay. This last one is tricky because as a parent, of course, you know your kid best and you want to trust your intuition. But what I realized is that there were some things that I was blind to being so close to my child. And in some cases, someone that was a little bit more removed, maybe a family member or another caregiver, they may also be in a position to notice things. And so As hard as it was to hear those observations for, in our case, it was from some family members at the time, it really kind of helped me see that she did need a little bit extra support in her language development. And that was kind of what pushed me to pursue things more thoroughly with our pediatrician. It's a really good point to share that the relationship you have with your child is going to be different than the relationship 
teachers or even grandparents or nannies have that they have a, a little bit of a distance to see things from. Yeah. That's hard, of course, to, to hear. And, and 18 months sounds so young. It feels like, oh, there's so much time for so many things to yeah. develop. But as we know, with many of these things and what we talked about in the podcast before, the earlier you get a lot of help, the sooner you can get past many of these problems. My son had a lot of meltdowns, as all young children do. He would get really angry every time his expectations weren't met. Even if it was like a positive surprise, it would still be this meltdown. And at the time, I'd been teaching for maybe coming up on 10 years, maybe not quite. You know, I could handle some meltdowns and it wasn't until we went to the dentist, he needed some cavities filled and it didn't happen that day because he had such an epic meltdown and in the car started saying that he does everything wrong and nobody likes him and all these like really self-deprecating things that were really hard to hear. And that was the tipping point of like, oh, okay, you're having huge feelings and this is now outside of my wheelhouse. You know, I need some outside help to figure out how to help you through these really difficult moments. So my husband and I noticed a few things with him. We had a different experience in the fact that we had to push back on so many people who told us everything was totally fine with our son. We we're very grateful for the teachers at Old Firehouse because I want to give a call out to Michelle on that because you did such a great job of helping us with that. And same with you with Alex. But our son was very verbal. He had a lot of words. And even to this day, after everything that we've gone through over the past two years, you know, our pediatrician still pushes back on what our experience was of him. And that specifically is that he had difficulty with group instruction, he had difficulty with eye contact and difficulty with back and forth conversation. But one thing in particular is that he would recite a lot of books. Now we know he has an eidetic memory, he is hyperlexic, but you know, when he was two and a half years old, three years old, he would recite books for five, seven minutes at a time and act them out. And so grandparents, other family members, all of these things are like, oh, well, he's you know very verbal. He'll describe all these things. Sure. But he's not having back and forth conversations with people. It's very difficult to make eye contact with. His impulse control was not there. But, you know, we go see his pediatrician. And it was like, well, but, you know, he says all of these things. And, you know, he knows these. He's just a little quirky. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not going to solve this problem long term. Or he would get overwhelmed with sensory stuff. He would be very sensory seeking. He would dump all of his toys in the corner because he couldn't deal with what was happening in a room. You know, he couldn't follow the simple instruction of, we make a joke about it, but the kid will count to a hundred, but washing his hands was like pulling teeth. You know, there's these things and people attached to it. And my feelings were just like, well, you know, cute when you're two and a half or three, but how does that work out when you're seven? I really want to explore this. So we're very grateful for the support that we got from teachers and the things that they saw were the things that we were seeing. And then, you know, we really pushed things forward on the medical side. And it did take a year and a half for us to get him medically evaluated. But the school evaluation was quite quick and they assessed him for autism and we got him right into a program and you now he's thriving and he's doing really well. But it was that push. And then you always have that feeling of like, oh, well, you know, I want my kid to be like, quote unquote, normal, or I don't want to acknowledge that for us within like two days of when school brought it to our attention, we saw an occupational therapist and jumped right on that train because, you know, why not embrace the support or at least try it? Why be closed minded to something? or make excuses for something, why not get ahead? So our child didn't end up being the bad kid in the corner, which is what we were concerned about as he moved into larger and larger educational settings. And that is not where we feel like he is now, but that's where we felt like he was then. 
Well, I think your story is such an important one, too, because like you said, now he's in a, a regular classroom and still having some additional supports outside of the classroom. But because you jumped on things so quickly, he was able to move into a typically developing classroom because he got the help soon. So it was really good that you were able to listen to all of that information coming at you from us and from, I'm sure, other family members, too. And it is really interesting to hear that the process was a little harder to get medically evaluated or how that all went. Do you have a sense that being an experience other families might experience? A little bit, yes. We actually had a conversation with his, I think they're technically the diagnosing doctor is a behavioral pediatrician. She said that it depends on what people's experience is, what their experience with those kinds of kids are and what the stereotype of what autism is and what autism looks like, whether people still use the word Asperger's or not, whether high functioning autism is something that exists or is now more of like an insulting word. There's all these things and stereotypes and you know, stuff like that. And now we're involved with this community at UCSF of parents that are, some are in the same boat as us, some not in terms of where they are on the spectrum. But it's not that uncommon to have pushback from a pediatrician. And if we'd gone with that, then we would be in a very different place than we are you know, today. And I think it's very important to just have confidence in yourself and be open-minded, but also with a grain of salt, right? Like I said, you know, family members, friends, even to this day, like, no, he's fine. You know, you can listen to that or you can listen to your gut and say, hey, I think there's a few more things that we need to figure out here. So we don't get into those situations. Like I said before, of like, you know, cute when you're three, not so great when you're seven, you know, it's like, who wants to talk to a child that's reciting at them for like 10 minutes when they're eight years old? maybe not going to be so successful of a conversation. Let's learn what those appropriate social boundaries are. If it makes you uncomfortable, put the label of autism or whatever on it. Well, fine, then then shelve it and just go with the fact that, you know, your kid needs help understanding social cues or have to highly recommend this group of books and music. It's called social thinking. And it's also just learning how to communicate with your child properly. So if you don't like a label, great, find other tools or people to help you find the tools to be successful with your child. And sometimes that might be your pediatrician. It might, it might not be, you know, it might be family members. It might not be, but why not throw the spaghetti at the wall and try so that you can get the best out of what your child is trying to tell you, but doesn't have those skills yet. That reminds me of something I heard recently that I really liked, which was, it was more geared toward having a hard time finding a diagnosis. A lot of doctors are backed up or it's expensive or it's time consuming. It was just a line that I heard that I liked labels aside or diagnoses aside. If you find an accommodation that works for you, use it. Yeah. Who cares? And I, I do want to mention now, even though that he's been diagnosed and even though we've been recommended for the, these therapies, we are still getting pushback from different therapists to provide things because there are still these excuses of like, well, he does this, so we don't think he needs that. So even with what a professional says, you get conflicting messages, got to go forward with your gut, find the right tools to communicate best within your family, with your child, with your educators, all those kinds of things to be the most successful for your kid to be the most successful. Isabel, did you feel that that was a tricky thing for you with speech since you did start relatively early also? Yeah, I would say we also experienced pushback from our pediatrician initially. So I mentioned I noticed that she was not meeting the questionnaire milestones, but it was quickly you know, brushed off initially by our pediatrician as well. It's okay. Or, you know, there's a range or the percentiles go from one to 99. All the kids fall in that. So there was a lot of that initial pushback. We 
initially, once I was on the train of trying to pursue services, trying to get further valuation to get our daughter the support that she needed, we went through Kaiser initially. That was where we had our insurance. We also went through the regional center of the East Bay, which is contracted through the State Department of Developmental Services, I believe. And the process is not intuitive. You have to push. You have to keep pushing to see things through. And it takes time. Our daughter went through multiple evaluations over the course of probably three to four months initially. First, it's detailed questionnaires. You know, fill this questionnaire back and and send it to us. Fill out this questionnaire and send it back. Those results initially said that her speech and language development was typical, but I knew it wasn't. And I pushed harder for further evaluation. And then she was able to actually get in front of a speech and language pathologist from both Kaiser and the regional center for that in-person evaluation. And at that point, it was determined that at 20 months old, she had the expressive language of a nine-month-old. That was where they track her development. And at that point, they said, okay, she qualifies for services. And we were able to then be matched with an SLP and start beginning weekly sessions. So it's lengthy, but I would say our experience of three to four months, that's probably on the shorter end of the time that it takes to pursue and push and go these different routes and have multiple paths at the same time, like trying to pursue paths with Kaiser, trying to pursue also with the regional center. If you can get an accommodation somewhere, take it. It's a process, but just sticking with your initial intuition and pushing as hard as you can until you feel like you've really exhausted all of your options. I wanted to mention too on that front, you know, because we do continue to get pushback. One thing I've really been saying and for these different services, ABA therapy and all these kinds of things is tell them like, okay, look, we've got the school assessment. We've got the medical assessment. Fine. Just give me a benchmark now. Let's do XYZ kind of assessment now because we may get in a new environment in kindergarten and it's all going to be different or in first grade or, you know, what have you. Let's set a benchmark now so we have the history of it. So, you know, even if you waffle on it now or you're not sure, like just starting the process to have that context, you know, it's very interesting. Like, you know, you said, Isabel, when we you know, first got the questionnaire and you've got the four, five, 800 questions. Can your kid cut a piece of paper with scissors without tearing it? I have no idea. Now you check out all those things. You Can they throw a ball five feet? No clue. I don't, can they jump backwards a foot? I don't know. We'll try all those things. But, you know, when you do that and then you see them six months or a year from now, then you're able to better assess things yourself. So I think it's always worthwhile having that benchmark. Yeah. And the questionnaires can only do so much. And that's why I I was pushing really hard to get her seen in person, because I remember there being questionnaires for her at a year and a half. And it would say something like, does she put two or three words together? And I was checking the box, no. But what I couldn't write was, she doesn't even have any sounds, right? So it's not just that she's not putting three words together yet. But she couldn't say ma. I think at that point, her only sound was ba. I think it's one of the very first sounds that babies develop. And that's why they eventually marked her at nine months, because that was the most she could do. But when you fill out these questionnaires, the full context isn't always there. And so your numbers just kind of add up on a score. And that's where she was scoring high in some areas. And that was making up for the no's on the questionnaire. But what was missing was, this is not just a no. This is she is miles from this particular question and what the expected behavior would be. What about you, Michelle? You had a different thing. It wasn't something that 
other people even mentioned to you really with uh, no. your child. One of the things I was thinking about as you were both talking is that I have sought therapy for my son through our insurance and that takes so long and you hope that it's going to be a good fit and not that it's been a bad experience, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's been an overly great experience either. When he was four, I was lucky enough to have a pretty wide community of early childhood educators and somebody I worked with had a daughter that had multiple degrees and was doing her hours to become a therapist. So I asked her for a recommendation and she said, I've never met this person, but I know of her from all these boards. She always has these really insightful things to say and always has resources for us when we discuss different topics. And so that is how I got in touch with Katrinka Ford, who was on the last therapy podcast and does some work with our school. I had to pay for that out of pocket, but it was worth it to have somebody really knowledgeable and insightful and really connected with our whole family really quickly. That's the other side, I guess, of... (laughs) If you're willing to pay for things out of pocket, sometimes they might go faster and easier than going through insurance. Well, what was his experience then? So yours was a relatively shorter process. Right. But as you said, you still connect with Katrinka once in a while. So yeah. So at that age, that was more parent therapy than it wasn't like he sat on a couch and told her all of his problems. You know, she watched him play. We talked about how he is and problems we face at home or just developmental milestones. And then she sort of trains parents to do what she calls filial therapies. We had basically these set aside play sessions and she sort of coached me how to talk to him. And she had a lot of really valuable insight for me because I had a combination of my preschool teacher brain and mom guilt. So As she was talking to me, I heard all of the things I would tell a parent if I was in her position that I didn't think of because I was so immersed in the situation and feeling personally responsible for every single struggle he had. And then I learned more about the social emotional side, which my preschool teacher brain was like, these are the boundaries. These are the consequences. And she was like, if he's in fight or flight, consequences are an additional threat. So have those, but not in that moment. And that was brand new for me. And honestly, even really seeing firsthand somebody going into fight. You know, when you think of fight or flight or you think of anxiety, you think of somebody a little bit more outwardly fearful. He went into fight. (laughs) So it just looked like a very angry outburst. And so framing that as a regulation issue. Mm -hmm changed the way that I helped him through those moments. Okay. What about both of you? And what has been your children's experience as preschoolers seeing outside people? So we were in sessions for our daughter's language delay for a year and a half. And this was while she was starting at Old Firehouse School. Our sessions were remote because this was the height of the pandemic and this spanned between 2020 and 2022. But remote was actually okay for me. And actually, logistically, it made things a lot easier with our experience. And the reason why I was okay with remote is because when I really sat back and thought about it, she was getting one hour sessions a week. So, you know, 50 minutes once a week. But the rest of her development and progress happens outside of that one hour. And so I really saw that one hour as a time for us as parents who were involved in the sessions to get a lot of instruction and Mm -hmm. teaching us tools, methods, 
for helping our daughter and encouraging her with her speech. So yes, while the sessions were directed at her and they were interactive as much as they could with a two-year-old on Zoom, we were there picking up games, activities, focus areas to help her the rest of the hours of the week, because that's where the real progress happens. So our experience was different than it is now. I don't know if sessions have returned more, more stuff is in person, but getting remote sessions to me wasn't the the end of the world. Logistically, it was easier. We could just do it an hour before school started from the comfort of our living room. And it was really, especially at that young age, so much of the learning that happened was was us, the parents, so that we could help her and we could support her the rest of the the time. For us, it was very different. Our son really needed full-on immersion. So we started with occupational therapy. We went a couple of times. We got some good feedback, tools to try, structuring his art, you know, all these kinds of things. And then she encouraged us to come as much as possible. And again, back to Michelle's point about it being out of pocket. We're like, well, let's just throw spaghetti at the wall. Here's what we're doing. So we did the social skills classes, which were one-on-one classes on the weekend, which were helpful, but we weren't seeing continued growth and progress, even if the things and the tools that we were recommended. And then this is when we did the evaluation for special education. We were very fortunate. Lafayette School District, they got him in right away at the last second. So we continued with Old Firehouse through the summer. But I guess what's that, like a year and a half ago now, when our son went into special ed, just a full-on immersion, three hours a day with a three-to-one ratio was really what changed things for him. So they gave us some helpful tools and a kind of a way to like restructure things in our home as well. Our son was pushing through kids too young for it to be like intentional, right? Well, they told us, okay, we'll rearrange your furniture so that he can figure out where his body is so he can get in between furniture, things like that, and know where he is. He'll stop pushing kids. This is something the occupational therapist told us earlier. This was very successful, but that's kind of where it ended. Whereas when he moved into special education with that three hours a day, in that communication back and forth, talking through how things should work, his feelings, reactions. They taught us about the Komochi curriculum, which was very helpful, talking about feelings that you have in your body. I'm having a brave feeling in my body, or I'm feeling upset in my body. It's a big feeling. You know, here's how I make it smaller in these tools. So we have a very verbal child. These are things that really stuck with him. But even tools like having a visual schedule on the wall, so he knew what to do. So he would expect a routine every day. Even if it changed, he knew what he could see. They'd have a cozy corner. He was allowed to take breaks during circle time so that he could go there. Or, you know, for our son who has a lot of energy, okay, you know, during circle time, you can go and jump on the trampoline up to two times if that's what you need and weighted blanket, all of these things, all these tools that we had never thought of, that three hour period for him was very successful being immersed in special education. And then we had him in a play-based aftercare, like a longer social skills class. And he did that five days a week. And the result of all of those things, learning all these different tools for the nine months, this is how he integrated back into general education. But for him, the hour here, the half an hour there, the few tools here and there, we would see improvement in that moment, but we didn't see bigger system-wide, I guess you'd say, changes until he had the immersion and just seeing other kids in different environments and learning from those other kids that were sometimes similar, sometimes very different than his experiences. Like, oh, well, that girl is autistic and completely nonverbal. Here's how I communicate with her. So we can see the very big differences because of course, in special education, a very wide swath of kids rather than similar kids. And he could really learn from that. So that's what he needed. Sounds like 
it's so important for the parents, obviously, to have a buy-in or just taking that time to be present for what's happening. Of course, with your preschooler, like it's not going to be that they're going to figure these things out on your own. The therapy time is important, but outside of that time is just as important where you're continuing the work that is happening in your homes. And it sounds like the children, it's something that they are able to enjoy and be involved in without it feeling hopefully not like it's a stressful time for them, that they're able to learn these skills and enjoy that time too. And then hopefully be able to build those connections with the people who are helping them out. It sounds really like there's a lot that you all have done to support your children through the various things that they have gone through. Are there any final words of wisdom that you want to pass on to families who might be either starting this process or maybe have talked to teachers or family members, but just aren't quite ready to, to kind of go in? What are some things you'd want them to know? Yes. You know, embrace it, get over the labels, get connected. It's the most important piece of it. There's some amazing connections that you find with other parents, with other resources, whether it's within like the special education department or Lafayette has the seed of Lafayette. And once you're around other parents that have even just like the slightest smattering of similarity to what you have going on, we all have gotten to this point where you know, we meet other parents that get it. You know, we've hosted some barbecues and get togethers with other parents in these communities. And it's like, once you met another parent that gets it, all of a sudden, like this whole world opens up to you and things that you felt alone on or that it's just you or different than when you go to the park and someone's like, well, well, I don't run after my kid when they're running across the field, they'll come back. And it's like, oh, no, no, my kid is just going to keep going. Like there's a 20 foot Apache helicopter distance that we know is safe or like he's just not coming back. You know, you meet another parent like that and it's like, oh, now I have this similarity. Like now I can connect on that. It opens up a whole new world when you can be open-minded for yourself and your partner and your family and really for your child. And you just can't look away from all the benefits of that. The other thing that I would mention is that it's not an easy thing to do, but once you can set yourself and your own career and your life aside a little bit, there's so many great things that you'll get out of opening your eyes to your child. And we've seen other parents that aren't really ready or willing to do that. But, you know, we have children, they're our most important things and being open to the way they communicate. It's so important, but it's so easy to forget or overlook. And the sooner you do it, the faster that you're going to have results, the better off you're going to feel about it, the less alone you're going to feel, the more connected you're going to feel. And yeah, I would say have patience, you know, the process takes time. It's, you don't see results overnight. Seek services as early as you can if you have concerns. And for me, a lesson learned really was being open to input from others and assume that it's being shared with kindness and the same goals of wanting your child to grow, whether that be things, observations you're hearing from teachers or maybe family members. I think most people generally have good intent. And so just be open to it. That was my experience. That was something that helped us get the support that we needed for our daughter. And now she's at a place where she graduated from her speech and language therapy services. And she still has some delays that have been characterized as still age appropriate, but she's really taken off. And I'm grateful for the early support that we did get. So seeking that early support can be really critical. This just makes me think of the phrase, it takes a village. I think that establishing relationships with a support system and people that understand what you're going through is really helpful. And we've 
leaned on our therapist a few times throughout the years. We saw her again when my son was in second grade and then again last year. And I think it might also be important to say that you're an expert on your child. You know your child better than anybody else, but nobody knows everything about every age. I had a little panic when my kids aged out of my area of expertise. <laughs> like for as much as I know about early childhood education is how little I know about teenage years. And they are rough. <laughs> it's great to know that all three of you though, have come out of this experience with your child, obviously succeeding and learning to thrive and learning the skills that they needed where they're not needing it as much anymore. And I think that the point that you were making Alex too, about what happens when they're three is one thing, what happens when they're 7, 10, 15, those are going to be very different things. So the sooner that a lot of families can get on board and give support to their children in the various ways that children might need it can really be such a benefit for your child. And we understand that there is neurodiversity in this world, that there are going to be different ways that people are going to think, feel, interact with the world around them. And it's definitely not any of our perspectives that we're trying to fit anybody into one little box. But we also understand that there are ways that our children are trying to tell us, I need some help. I'm having a hard time. And understanding that when we give them that help, that that's going to be a huge benefit for them as they are continuing to grow up. It might be one year of therapy and then you just revisit once in a while, like Michelle did, or maybe it's something that they age out of. And then you just kind of check in every once in a while. Every child's going to be different, but it's important to be open to the process as difficult and as challenging as it might be. So I'm hoping that this will help families understand that it's not necessarily an easy thing, but in the long run, it is so important for the child. Thank you very much, all of you, for sharing your stories. I really am so grateful for what you shared. And I think everybody who's listening will be able to learn from these. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll thank you all for listening. We hope this was information that will help you. I know it's been information I've been wanting to share with families for a really long time. And I'm so glad we have this platform to share it with you. Please continue to listen to all of our podcasts. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And we have a bunch of different socials too, Facebook, Instagram, where you can follow what Old Firehouse School is doing. Thank you again for listening and take care.